We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, if you want to open your Bibles there. Malachi chapter 3, and I know what a lot of you were thinking on your way to church today. A lot of you were, were thinking, man, I really hope Pastor Ted talks about money today at church. Well, you're welcome, I'm going to. So, uh, so there you go. Actually, you know, um, Jesus, about a, about a quarter of the time, about 25% of the time, uh, Jesus talked about finances, about managing money, about stewardship, uh, you know, wealth and all. And um, in both the Old and the New Testament, uh, there's about 800 references to, uh, to money and how we handle scripture or how we handle uh, finances and so on. Well, Malachi chapter 3 uh, verses 7 through 12, which is where we're going to be today, are, you know, one of those sections of Scripture where the Lord deals with money, and, uh, and so we, uh, we're going to deal with that today. Now, if you weren't here last week, the big idea of the message was basically that Jesus is coming again, uh, and we dealt with issues of salvation, and we dealt with issues of, of, you know, surrendering our life to the Lordship of Christ, and basically what we read was that the Jews in Malachi's day had wearied the Lord. And, um, and they'd wearied him in that, well, sin and compromise was rampant in, uh, in the, that time, in that, that place, much like it is today. Um, and because the Jews didn't see God intervening uh, in, in their time, they basically concluded that he's either powerless to do anything about sin or he didn't really care about sin. Um, and so because they didn't see God intervening in this way, they basically concluded, well, you know what? He's either powerless or he doesn't care. So if he doesn't care, I don't care. And they blew off what God had to say uh, to them. And consequently, what happened was that their religion, it became distant and it became disconnected. It was just sort of a form of religion, but there really wasn't any sort of substance uh, to it. And so what God does is, is he says to them, listen, I'm coming to judge sin and to purify my, my people and don't confuse you know, my delay with me being indifferent. Listen, what you need to know is because of my grace. Uh, Peter, about 450 years later, would write the same thing. In 2 Peter, he would say, you know, look, the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. He's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the Lord says through the prophet Malachi in verse 6, he says, for I, the Lord, I do not change. In other words, he's saying, look, someone needs to change and it ain't me. You know, you guys need to change. Um, and, and, and so we pick it up in verse 7 now. He says, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone, as, gone away from my ordinances and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have, have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be 
a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, <clears throat> what we have here in these verses here in Malachi 3, it can best be summed up in one word, and that word is worship. The word is worship. See, because the Jews didn't really trust the Lord, their religion was more ritualistic than it was relationship. And uh, this didn't just damage their walk, but it damaged their worship of God. Uh, their offerings were half-hearted, and they were half-hearted to the point to the, where they were robbing God, and God calls them on it, and they go, how are we robbing you? And, and God says, look, you're, you're robbing me in your tithes and in your offerings. Now, here's what we need to know at this point. God isn't broke. He's not going broke. He's not desperate for your, for your help. A lot of people, you know, will read this section of scripture and God says, you're robbing me and they have in their mind's eye a picture of, you know, God, you know, there and, and oh, I'm, I'm broke and I need your money and if I don't have your money, this ministry is not going to continue. You know, whatever the case is, God isn't broke. The psalmist declares the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything belongs to God. And see, when we worship the Lord in our giving, we're demonstrating that we're putting him first, that we're not putting anything before him, and, and, and that we truly believe within our heart of hearts that everything that we have comes from him. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we're told that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of, life, of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Variation or shadow of turning. Like a <clears throat> shadow might, you know, cast a shadow of, you know, hey, something to come or, you know, whatever it is. There, you see this and you see the shadow of something, some substance that's going to follow him. And what this text is saying is that, that God, there, there isn't even an inclination of something to come. Like, hey, God's going to turn from you. He's never going to turn from you. And, and the, every good gift comes from him. He's a loving father. And, and this idea of every good and every perfect gift coming from the father of lights it's not just about money, it's about everything, that everything in your life comes from God. He's the provider of everything, he owns everything, and so in your life and in my life, God is good, and he gives good gifts to his children, and one of those good gifts is that he provides for us financially so that we can have food in our stomachs, that we can have clothes on our back, that we can put a roof over our family's head, and, and that we can provide for ourselves and for our family, that is a good gift from the Father of lights, and he takes care of us in, in every possible way. Now, the law of Moses had a detailed system of giving to God as an act of worship, and it was based on the tithe. Now, the word tithe, it literally means a tenth, and so the idea was the first 10% of what you received, you would offer back to the Lord as an act of worship. So if it was 10% of your flock, 10% of your herds, 10% of your, your crops, this was what you would offer to, back to God. And the idea is worship. I'm worshiping you. I'm, I'm offering back to you that which you have given to me to say that you are God, to say that you are glorious, to say that you are provider, to say that I'm trusting in you. I'm not trusting in my stuff. And again, the, the, the concept, it's in the law, but it actually predates the law. 
even before the law was given, we see Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. In addition to this tithe, this tenth, this 10%, uh, over and above that, God's people were also required to give offerings to the Lord for the care of the temple and such things. And, and again, the, the whole idea and, and, and the drum that we're going to keep on beating here is that it, it's an issue of worship. It, it's an issue of, hey, I'm going to offer to you that, that the first of that which you have given to me to worship you, the provider of these things. David said, wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. But who am I, and who are my people, that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Now, again, the principle is that in offering the first part to God, I'm acknowledging that, that he's my provider. It's not, it's not that, hey, this is, you know, what I have is because, because I sweated for it, and so this is the fruit of my labor. It's not that, hey, what I have is because I'm smart, and I can engineer stuff, and I can figure stuff out, and I'm a shrewd businessman, and this is why I have what I have. You know, it's a matter of saying everything I have is because I have a Father in heaven who loves me and provides for me and makes sure that I don't go without. And so I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that he's my provider. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This is the issue. This is the issue with, with our giving to the Lord. And, and <clears throat> so Malachi's point here is that the people have become evil in that they're withholding their tithes. And in so doing, they're just revealing where their hearts are at, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So they're like, you know, by their actions, proving, hey, my heart isn't with you, God. My heart is in my wallet. My heart is in my stuff. My heart is with, with things other than you. And it shows in their tithes and offerings. And so the Lord says, look, you're robbing me. And again, it's not that he needs the stuff. He needs the person who has the stuff. He needs you, and, he, and, and he's, you, you look, you're robbing me because I give you stuff so that you'll use your stuff to worship me and so that I can work in you and through you, and you're not doing that. You're robbing me. Your hearts are far from me. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. How much of your stuff, how much of your money does God want? Well, let's answer that question. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 16. Pick it up in verse 1, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He, that is Jesus, also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now, Jesus, when he taught, he taught parables. Uh, A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
And when, when the people got to the place to where they, they weren't paying attention so much anymore, what he would do is he would teach by parables and he would tell these stories and he would keep everyone's attention and telling this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, he could impart great truths. Now, so here he's telling an earthly story now with this heavenly meaning and he, he, so he says, there's a certain rich man. So in this story, the rich man is God. As a matter of fact, you could just circle rich man next to it. You could write God. Uh, and he had a steward. Guess who the steward is? You. So you circle the steward. You write by it, you know, me. Uh, and, um, and so uh, he had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man, the steward, was wasting his goods. Now, when it says his goods, it's not talking, the goods don't belong to the steward. Who do they belong to? God, the rich man. So, so this, this steward has been entrusted with something that belongs to the rich man, to God, and, he's, and the accusation is, you're wasting my stuff. And so, verse 2, he called him, and he said to him, what is this I hear about? You give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, he said in his heart, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Now, who's the they that he's talking about? Well, he tells us in the very next verse, the very next couple of verses. Verse 5, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Verse 7, and then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And so he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write out 80. Here's what he's doing. He's going to these debtors. He's saying, look, how, whatever you owe, I'm going to, we've got a bargain basement sale here, and I'm going to let you pay a fraction of what you owe to him so that you are now indebted to me. That's what he's doing. He's working away, and his whole idea here is that when his master fires him, that these guys will be indebted to him, and they'll take him in. They'll either give him a job, or they'll give him a place to stay, or they'll give him three hots and a cot, whatever it is. They're like, hey, I want you guys to owe me something. Just one problem. It ain't his stuff to do that with, is it? No, he's, he is, you know, ripping off his master from his goods to better to, to provide for himself. Now, verse 8, the master's going to find out. Wow, what's he going to do? Well, so the master commended the, wait a minute, commended? Now, I, you know, I condemned maybe, judged, uh, you know, took, you know, exacted a pound of flesh for every pound of whatever that he, that he no, he commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. What? Here's what you got to hear about this. Jesus, in the telling of, his, of this story, he's not saying that God wants you to rip other people off. He's not saying that God wants you to be dishonestly, uh, you know, dealing with your master and the stuff that is his. Here's the deal. He didn't commend his action. He commended his shrewdness. Hey, that was pretty shrewd. See, here's the idea. 
He used his, and this is the key to the whole thing. You gotta write this down. He used his resources to set himself up for the future. That's what he was commended for. You were shrewd and you used your resources today to set you up for the future. Now, he goes on to say, for he, he commended this, the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, used his resources to set himself up for the future. And then he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Here's the idea. What Jesus says is, look, you guys, you're really good. The sons of this world are really good at, at brokering deals. You're really good at at engineering stuff and figuring stuff out. You're like, hey, you know what can I do to get the best return on my money? You know, I can, I can put it in this account. I can get this higher interest rate. I can take this lump of money and you know what? I can double down. I can leverage my money. So rather than buying this one house, you know what I'll do? I'll split it. I'll buy two houses and, and I'll, you know, I'll get it. You know, this one I can rent. This one I'll live in. I'll get the tax deduction for this. The renters will pay my house off here. When the rate, you know, when the market goes up, I'll sell this house. I'll double down again. I'll take, you know, the proceeds from that. And I'll, and then, so there's this, this attitude of I can be really shrewd to get ahead to make a bigger, better deal and all. And Jesus is saying, you know what? The sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. In other words, hey, we can be a better steward with our stuff for our selfish ambition and for our selfish gain than we can in recognizing Guess what? All of this stuff belongs to God. He's entrusted it to me. And my responsibility is to use my stuff to glorify him. And I got to recognize that there, to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus continues in verse 9. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fall, or when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What on earth? What he's saying is, again, use your stuff to glorify God. Don't, you know, don't invest in this earth where moths go in and eat and rust goes in and, and destroys. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's, that's the idea there. He says in verse 10, He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The question is, who are you worshiping? What is your God? Who are you trusting in? And, and are you being a faithful steward? That's the question. It's not, it's not a matter of, hey, you've robbed me and you should give me 10%. It's, hey, you've robbed me and you should give me everything. That's the answer to the question when I said, what does God want? How much of your money does God want? How much of your stuff does God want? Here's the answer. He wants it all. He wants it all. He wants, he wants every part of you, nothing held back, to say, Lord, you know, I, I, all I have is yours. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't provide for yourself a house. It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, buy yourself a car when you need a car. It doesn't mean that you don't take your kids 
to Disneyland. It doesn't mean those things. What it means is that every single purchase goes through the filter of, God, what if you have blessed me with this, and how would you have me to use this? What would you have me to do with what you've provided me so that I can be honest and faithfully uh, you know, available to you to do whatever it is that you want to do? See, God wants to invest. He, he, he tells a parable about you know, a rich man who, who gave talents to, to his, his, his various you know, servants. And, 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 he, and he goes away and he comes back and he demands an accounting from each, each servant that he gave a talent to. What did you, what did you do with my talents? And, and to one he gives five and to, to another uh, he gives a couple of talents. To another he gives, you know, one talent. And the one who has five talents, he comes back and he says, see, you know, I've taken the talents and I've investment, I've invested the talents and, and here you go and I've got, and he, and he has a, a return on, on the investment that he's made in him. And he, his answer is, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness. And then, you know, the one who had two talents, the same thing, hey, I invested it and here's the return. And then he goes to the guy that's got one talent, he says, I buried it. And he's like, you wicked, lazy servant. You buried the talent, you didn't use it. And he, and he casts him out. And he says, take, take what, you know, what he has and give it to the one who's invested. Give it to the one who's been faithful. The idea there is that God, he invests in us because he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. That's, that's the idea. God's looking for good stewards. He's looking for people who are going to take the money that he gives them and then use it in a way that, that is godly and good. To paraphrase Luke 16.10, listen, if you can be trusted with a little, then you can be trusted with much. Again, search the Gospels. You'll see 25% of the time this is what Jesus talked about. He talked about money. He talked about wealth. He talked about possessions. He talked about stewardship. 800 times, Old and New Testament combined, God talks about these issues. So back in Malachi, here's what God says in verse 10. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. That, that, that issue, storehouse, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse was the place where people were fed. To, 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 to help you understand this here in our, our modern day context, this is the storehouse where, where Reliance Church is fed spiritually. And so the way God has set up his church is that we, well, God gives to us thing, money that we are to invest and we are to, to be faithful stewards of that money so that God can feed the people through this storehouse. That's how he set it up. For better or for worse, that's the way it works. And, and so, so here's what happens when we are faithful to, to be good stewards, then what happens is the people are fed and they're cared for and they're nourished. Most perhaps recent example of that is the VBS that we just put on. I think I, I told you before, we, we spend more money on VBS than we do on any other outreach that we do. It's the biggest thing we do financially. We spend upwards of $20,000 to put on VBS. 
We spend more money on that than we do on Christmas, on Easter, on anything like that. But here's the thing. It's a huge outreach to the community. The, the, the local public schools send out the flyers to all of their kids, and, and we have, you know, 700-plus kids showing up, many of whom don't know the Lord. And this year, by the grace of God, we had almost 200 of those kids make professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? That happens when we have faithful stewards who say, Lord, how can I faithfully be used by you? And God says, I'm going to bless you financially, and I want you to use some of that and and take that money, and I want you to bring it to the storehouse obediently so that my people can get fed. This is the way that it works. This is the way the Lord has set it up. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Apostle Paul frequently instructed the the churches that he planted and and oversaw about giving. Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 9. And he instructs, you know, again here in 1 Corinthians 16. And and what we see here is we, we find specific guidelines, specific principles for our giving in these first two verses of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Here's what he says. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each, uh, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, Paul is, uh, is laying out for this church, look, there's a need, there's a command, this is the way God works, he works through his people as he blesses them financially as faithful stewards to, to do the work that, that he's called them to do and that he wants to do in them and through them. And so this is, this is how you have to, ask, to, to act. Now in these two verses, basically, Paul articulates you know, four specific guidelines that, that we need to take and, and look at in our giving. Okay, here they are. Give them to you one at a time. First is, it's, it's a commanded practice for all. He, he says in verse one, now concerning the collection for the saints, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia that you, so you must do also. So it's commanded practice for every single one. He doesn't say, hey, you know, do this if you feel like it. He doesn't say, hey, you know, if it, if it works for you, cool. If it doesn't, don't. He says, no, so this is, I told the churches in Galatia how they're supposed to give. I'm going to tell you also, this is how you must do. This is how you're supposed to give. So it's commanded practice for all. Second principle is that it's to be done weekly on the first day of the week. He says, on there, verse two, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday's first day of the week, last time I checked. So, so it's, it's commanded for everybody. He says it's to be done weekly on Sunday. Thirdly, he says it should be based on what God has given to you. Again, notice in verse 2, he says, um, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. It should be based on what God has given to you. Now, now the word prosper there can be misleading. Because some people think prosper is what I've got left over. 
You know, so I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do my bills and I'm going to say, oh, you know, I got my mortgage and I got my rent and I got my car, your mortgage, I got my car payment, I got my insurance, I got, well, then I've got, you know, my living, then I've got my, my living expense, I got my, I, well, there's, well, my entertainment budget is here now, there, and then I've got, you know, of course, my Starbucks budget, that's, that's there, and then I've got, and, and then they get to the end of the list and they're like, hey, well, what do you know, I got more month than I got money. How many, how many here? You got more month than money, right? Uh, and so, you guys are so chicken. Nobody raised their hand. All right, so, so you go through the thing, and then at the end of it, you think, oh, you know, bummer for you, God, because there ain't nothing left. That's not what prosper means. What prosper means is whatever God's provided you. He says, whatever God's provided you, you lay part of that aside. And, 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 and the fourth thing, the fourth principle I'll come back to kind of outline or expand on a little bit, but the fourth principle is that it's something that we should all do without the pastor having, you be, having to beg you to do it. Something we should all do, and that's what Paul says when he says, uh, let that there be, look at the end of verse two, no collections when I come. Why does he say that? Because Paul doesn't want to come saying, hey, you know, have you given? Have you given? Will you give? Paul doesn't want to have to be like that. I used to go to a church and they would, the tithe bag was on a pole. And the, and the joke used to be that they'd go down and if you didn't put enough in it, they'd jab you with it. So, you, you know, there you go, you know, kind of thing. And no, no pastor wants to be the guy that's saying, would you give? Would you give? Would you please give? And so these principles, they're, they're outlined in Scripture. They're, they're, they're very clear. It's commanded for all of us. It's not like, oh, you know, some people are gifted to give and some aren't. Yes, giving is a spiritual gift, but that doesn't mean that for those that don't have the gift of giving, you don't give anything. It means we're all, we all have to give. We all are instructed to give on the first day of the week. We're all instructed to give as God has prospered us. And we're all instructed to, hey, you know what, let's be grown up and let's take it upon ourselves to do this without having to be prodded and nagged and told and retold that that we're supposed to do it. Now, again, the point, every Christian has the responsibility to give something. Why? Stewardship. Stewardship. God has has called you to, to be a good steward of that which he's given to you. Now, many Christians learn this lesson too late. They learn it too late, and they get here to Malachi, and they'll read it, and they'll go, whoa, I'm bummed out, because, well, I'll just share my own story, and I, and I know I've been, I mean, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's a very common story. A couple of things. Number one, most people, the, one of the last areas that they develop spiritually, one of the last areas that we mature spiritually, is in giving. Our wallets come a little bit later. That's just how it goes. And so this issue of giving is usually something that we learn, you know, a little down the road after we've come to Christ and after we start growing. And, and God is so good, isn't he? Because he, he just, he, he puts his finger on that thing in our lives and he's like, next thing, let's deal with this. And if he would have done that, you know, prematurely, you would have been, I'm out, you know, kind of deal. And, and so God's so good, and he, and he does this. So the wallet usually comes a little later. But the second thing is that, and again, this is my experience, maybe it's yours, maybe you know, you, you're aware of this. But my experience was that I pretty much train wrecked my finances before I got mature in this area. 
So when God finally did put his finger on my heart and said, you know what, your wallet doesn't really match up with your mouth. Because you say you love me, but when you look at your checkbook register, apparently you love everything but me. I'm like, oh, you're right. So I wanted to fix that. But then I started looking at everything that I'd obligated myself to financially. I'm like, well, well, what? I mean, because you say, let my yes be yes and my no be no. And I've said yes to a lot of things. So, I mean, you know, if I'm going to make my car payment, I can't tithe, you know, and do all of these other things. And so I had to figure out what am I going to do. And, you know, the key, as we're still here in 1 Corinthians 16, there in verse 2, it's in something. Lay something aside. See, we're not under the Old Testament, we're under the New Testament. We're not under the Old Covenant, we're under the New Covenant. And the Old Covenant was, hey, you know, give 10%. The New Covenant, Paul basically says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and each person needs to give what, what, they, you know, what is purposed in their heart to give, just as, as, as an act of worship. Now, I would submit, and I'm not alone in this, but I would submit that, you know, if according to the law, we're called to give 10%, then under grace, we should give that much more abundantly. If we, if we come into a saving faith in the Lord and we now living under grace, it's not just a, hey, wink, wink, I made all them give 20%, but you know, you can, you can, you can just not give, just spend it on yourself. It's cool, you're covered by grace. It, it, it's not like that. So, so I would submit that even though we're supposed to give cheerfully, hilariously, as, as it's been interpreted, that's how God would have us to give, just as God lays it in our heart. I would submit that, that the generous giving should, should really be, be more than that. I was at a pastor's conference a couple years ago, and there was a guy, nationally well-known pastor, and, you know, he had written a book. And the book was ridiculously successful. It, it sold the most copies of any book behind only one other book, the Bible. And so this guy made, like, hundreds of millions of dollars on the writing of this book. Now, he just basically told the story that God had laid it on his heart that he was to be generous And so 95% of the proceeds of the book, he gave away. He he, he gave it all away. Some newspaper reporter, you know, interviewing him, you know, oh, I understand, you know, you made millions of dollars on this book. What'd you do with the money? He's like, gave it away. He's like, gotcha, you know, you're looking to do this piece on me or whatever. But here's what he said. He said, you know, my wife and I, long before I ever wrote this book, my wife and I had been impressed to the Lord that we wanted to be generous. We understood this issue of stewardship. And so our attitude was, God, we want to be good stewards of everything that you give to us. And he said, so what we started doing, we, you know, God had just burdened us in this way and we're faithfully giving 10%. And he said, we decided that every year when we did our budget, if we could increase what we were giving, we would increase it. Just because we wanted to be generous. And, and, you know, be good stewards. So he said, we, we've been doing this for years. To the point to where he said, when I wrote this book, I already was giving most of my income to the Lord in tithes and offerings. And, and he said, so when I wrote the book, he said, because people will say, oh, you know, great, you gave 95% of it away. It's easy to give away, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. 
you know, that you can, there's still a lot left. I mean, giving away 95% of hundreds of millions of dollars is still more than most people make. You know, it's easy to do that. He said, it doesn't work that way. Because if you're not generous before, you're not going to be generous when, when you get more. And, and so he said, I'm firmly convinced that God gave me the blessing of writing this book and had such prosperity with it because he knew what I'd do with the money. Then he asked a question which just pierced my heart. He said, what would you do with the money? And I began to think about that, and I took a walk with this. And, and you know, I, I thought in my heart, I want, I want to do that. And I came on, I talked to Brenda, and I just said, look, I, want to, I just want to give as obediently as we can possibly give. And so every year when we do our budget, every year I say, Lord, can I give more? And we've just purposed in our hearts. Now, you know, this pastor telling the story, he basically said, you know, some years it was really lean and they couldn't increase their tithe. They would never decrease the amount that they gave. Uh, and just as they would give, they would, okay, we've reached this level and this year we can't go above that, maybe next year. And then when they could, they would increase it. And I told Brenda, I want to do that. And, and again, the attitude isn't anything other than, where's my heart with the Lord? I just want to glorify him. I want to honor him. And I want him to have all of me. And, and so this is, this is that important thing here. And so we see these principles. Man, we, we just need to, to be able to understand this is a responsibility for all. And man, okay, maybe we can't start at 10%. But man, we can start somewhere. God, I just want to glorify you, I want to honor you, and, and, and I've messed up, but I'm going to lay something aside. Start with something. Here's what I would say. Whatever it is that we give, there should be an element of sacrifice to it. There's, there's a story that, that we read about in 2 Samuel, and basically David was disobedient to the Lord, and God told him, you know, hey, you need to go erect an altar and you need to sacrifice to me and you need to, you know, to, to, to worship me in this way. And, and so David was obeying the Lord and following that. And, and he, went up, he went to this guy named uh, Arana and he was talking to him and, and he said, hey, I want to buy your threshing floor and, uh, and I want to buy some animals that I can, can, you know, sacrifice to the Lord and worship. And the guy told him, you don't have to give me a cent, I give it to you. Here's what David said in response to that. Then the king said to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. The idea here is that there needs to be an element of sacrifice in our giving. Hey, whatever it is that God lays on your heart to give, there should be some sacrifice there. I want you to notice also another principle there uh, in verse 2. We're still here in 1 Corinthians 16. That, that, that he says, storing up as he may prosper. Listen, some of you, you're in dire straits right now. Some of you are unemployed. Some of you are on, on you know, public assistance. And for you, giving 5 or 10 bucks a week or 5 or 10 bucks uh, even a month is, is like just a huge sacrifice. I say, God bless you. Because it's not about what we give, it's about the sacrifice behind what we give. It's about the heart behind what we give. And, and for others of us here, you know, it's not a matter of I'm unemployed. It's a matter of God's prospered me in a different way. For some here, the issue may be you're well within 
And, and this may apply to several of you. You, you can tithe 10% all day long. Is it sacrificial? See, because sometimes it's a matter of going, oh, you know what, I, got, I, can, I can tithe 10%, I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, really? Because if I don't even really have to think about it, where, where is, is there an element of sacrifice to it? Is, is, there, is, is my heart in this? Is this really now an act of worship? Or, or is this just me ticking the legalistic box that says, oh, I'm tithing, so I'm good. Again, it all, it all comes back to the heart. That's what God's after. He, he, just, he wants our heart. He wants us to worship him. And our money and the way that we handle it and the way that we say, God, I, you know, if we look at it through a stewardship lens, it changes everything. God's saying, can I trust you and be faithful to put the money in your hands so that my work and my purposes and my will can be accomplished through you? See, that's the question here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. That's the heart of giving right there. So back in Malachi, God says to the people in Malachi, try me now in this. In other words, he says, put me to the test. He says, try me now in this and see, I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Only place in his word where God says, put me to the test in this issue. Everywhere else, he says, don't test me. Don't test the Lord. But here, he says, put me to the test in this. See if I will not pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's the idea. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. See, the implication here in these verses is that their crops are struggling because of the devourer. And it doesn't tell us what the devourer is. We don't know if it's maybe locusts. We don't know if it's a drought. But in any case, here's what God is saying to them. He's saying, if you will do what I ask you to do, if you'll be a faithful steward, of what I give to you, I'll provide for you and I will make your crops grow. Now this is a wonderful truth in God's word. Um, And it doesn't mean that you won't ever struggle with finances. It doesn't. But it does mean that God will always provide and that you can't outgive God. That is the abundant truth. You cannot outgive him. And and now if, if you give to get, that's a whole different story. Let's talk about that. A lot of times, people will teach this section of Scripture, and they will teach it from a very selfish, self-centered perspective. They will teach this section of Scripture like God's a pinata, and, and your tithe is the stick. And so, you know, if, if, you, if you beat God the pinata with your tithe stick, then the, the, all the blessings are going to rain down. God, it doesn't work that way, and that's not what this is about. And if that's how you give... 
Well, you shouldn't expect that you should receive anything from the Lord. It's just like prayer. When, when you ask according to your own selfish desires, the Bible says don't expect that you're going to receive anything from the Lord. So if, 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 if our giving and if our approach to tithing is I'm going to give to get, that's not a spiritual principle that's going to work. See, the idea is that God has blessed us to be a blessing. So I'm praying about it. We're going through this section of scripture. I'm like, swell, I get to talk on money. You know, nobody likes to hear you talk about money. Pastors don't like to talk about money. But it's where we're at. And so I'm praying. I'm going, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful to teach it. I'm going to teach it biblically. I'm going to tell our, our, our people this is, this is what the Bible says. And we got to deal with God on this. And, and I'm like, okay, so i got to take the message in for a landing. How am I going to land it? You know, you're thinking, oh, some sort of spiritual, you know, some great story that just you know, emotional heartstrings about how somebody was blessed, you know, in their financial given. And the Lord, you know, the Lord just says, look, just... Like we always do. Here's what the word says. Here's what it means. And here's what it means to you. I'm your pastor. I love you guys. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say in, in all of the love that I, can, that I can muster because I mean it in love. My job is to help you be healthy. And right now as a body, I don't know that we are. 17% of our church gives regularly. I don't know who gives what. I never do. We have financial controls, and I've got faithful men that, that take care of our finances. But what I do know from what I'm told is about 17% of our church gives regularly, which, which means that 83%, did I do my math right? Yeah, 83% of our church is disobedient in this area of giving. And you, all, you know, Pastor Ted, you don't know my heart. Look, I don't have to. Jesus said, where, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, so f- for me, as your pastor, what I just want to encourage you in is the same way that I was encouraged at one time. Don't you, don't you want to be a faithful steward of, God, uh, of the Lord? Don't you want to be able to hear from the Lord, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant? And so what I would say is if you're here and the Lord's convicting you, and you've been disobedient in your giving, I would say, you know what? Repent. Just, just say, Lord, have mercy on me. I would say, pray about, Lord, I can give something. Lord, what can I give? And have the Lord impress upon your heart, what is sacrificial giving for you? Not legalistically, not so you can check it off, but just so we can be obedient to God, because God set it up that, that this church and the work that this church will do will be provided by us. We, we, we don't have some big money backer somewhere else. It's just through what we're going to do. So I'll leave it there. We'll pray. And we'll deal with the Lord. Amen.